0: You're listening to. Whoa! Hot luck.
1: Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian-American authors. My name is Marvin Yue.
0: And I'm Ria Yu.
1: And we are here to talk about the first Books and Boba book club pick of 2020, um, The Three-Body Problem by Sushin Liu, um, translated by Ken Liu.
0: Who is the author of one of our other book club picks, The Grace of Kings, which we read in january or february i don't remember did we
1: it was a while ago i
0: remember i gave i gave our uh, listeners two months to read it because it was was really long so i think it was a january (laughs) slash february pick
1: yeah um so thank you for everyone for tuning in again um hopefully you've all read the book um because we're going to go deep into spoilers although from experience i know some of you like to listen to our thoughts before going to a book which i guess it's okay
0: Live your life the way you want to. (laughs) Uh,
1: But before we get into our book club discussion, uh, Rira has some breaking news for us.
0: It's not really breaking news now by the time that you're listening to this. But uh, last week, the Asian Pacific American Awards for Literature were announced. um, And I'm just going to briefly go over the winners and honorees of this year. Uh, So the 2020 Asian Pacific American Awards for Literature Picture Book uh, the winner was Queen of Physics, How Wu Chen Sheng Helped Unlock the Secrets of the Atom. And it was written by Teresa Robinson and illustrated by Rebecca Huang. The honoree for Picture Book was Bilal Cook's Doll, written by Aisha Said and illustrated by Anusha Saeed. And um, Stargazing by Jen Wang won the 2020 Asian Pacific American Award for Children's Literature And the honoree went to I'm OK, and that was written by Patty Kim. And the Young Adult Literature winner was They Called Us Enemy by George Takei. And uh, the Young Adult Literature honoree was Frankly In Love by David Yoon. So those were our winners of the 2020 Asian Pacific American Awards for Literature. Congratulations to all of the winners and honorees. I've heard great things about every single book on this list. We covered them in previous episodes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have you read um, Frankly in Love yet? No. It's on your TBR. I pile. don't
0: have it. <laughs> I need to borrow it. I, I have like maybe two friends who have copies of it and they just haven't started reading it. And, oh. you know, it's like one of those weird things where your friends are like, oh, I really want to read this book. And it takes them forever to pick it up. And I'm like, so when are you going to finish reading the book so <laughs> I can read it? It's like a weird situation.
1: What a struggle! But
0: but I did watch the pilot for Ghost
1: Bride. Oh, I still haven't gotten to watching that series yet.
0: See, the thing is, I don't have any experience watching Chinese dramas, mm. so um, my only point of reference is uh, are the Korean dramas that I've watched. In the past. And I'm guessing that they're a little bit different. In terms of production and writing.
1: You know. At this point they're probably about the same. I think a lot of the current wave of C-dramas. Are all very much inspired by k-dramas which were in part inspired by c-dramas of like the 90s so like everyone is just biting off each other and you know it's kind of how art works right everyone takes what was done before i would say k-dramas
0: actually got most of their inspirations from japanese dramas because a lot of the early uh korean dramas were adaptations of mangas that were really popular um but yeah the pilot was uh the thing is, I don't really remember much of the novel and how it started. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going in pretty much blind because I forgot like the opening chapter <laughs> of the book. So I don't really know how faithful it was. Um, and also, I'm not knowledgeable in uh, the clothing of that time, like mm-hmm. 1890s uh, Malacca fashion. So I was like, hmm, some of these costumes look like they are brand new and that they haven't been aged in sunlight like most costumes should be. And uh, I don't know, like the the style of the episode is very contemporary. So um, by contemporary, I, I don't know how I can explain it, but um, the way people talk and the Humor that kind of comes across. It seems like contemporary rom-com. Um, honestly, I can't judge the translation because I'm watching with English subtitles and I am not fluent in Mandarin or any of the other audio uh, options on Netflix. But I enjoyed the pilot. I will have to watch the rest of the episodes to like give a clear... <laughs> Uh, answer but we've gotten tweets from our listeners asking if we're gonna do like episodes on uh, on our reviews of of the ghost bride so
1: yeah i mean we'll definitely talk about it some more probably in our mid-month check-in um when we have more time dedicated to you know just talking about whatever are, are we happening. doing it yeah. mid-month
0: wise or are we doing it separately
1: we can do either i mean are you committing to watching this whole thing? Oh,
0: yeah, I'm going to watch <laughs> the entire thing. Um the problem is I have to go reread the book so I can actually uh give some um some from, insight. I mean
1: from what I've seen of the trailers, it's quite a departure from the book in terms of just characterizations and also just overall plot. Mm-hmm. Um so it'll be interesting to see the difference, but um we're here today to talk about our January 2020 book club pick. Um, which I feel like Rira's doing everything in her power to put off as I'm, much as I'm possible. I'm not,
0: because we, like I said, we had people tweet at us being like, yo, are you going to commentate on this? So, <laughs> yes, I am dedicating myself to to watching the entire series. And you will hear my thoughts, because I will have a lot of them. Yeah. I have standards.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely do a our, um, I guess, adaptation analysis episode see the problem is in the
0: i'm probably going to be the only one out of the two of us who will watch the entire thing because i what do you mean are I, you gonna watch the entire thing yeah
1: i've already like budgeted time for it okay i'm pretty good at binging series all right like i watched the entire run of the witcher and like okay
0: night. but that's the witcher and there's like what six episodes yeah there's yeah. like
1: six of this right
0: oh is there I thought it was longer.
1: No, I think it's like six or eight. Oh,
0: okay. Then it's totally doable.
1: Yeah. So, you know, stay tuned to Books and Boba. We'll we'll be bringing you our reactions to not only The Ghost Bride, but also the next big Netflix thing happening in like a week, which is To All the Boys I Loved Before 2.
0: Yep. (laughs) P.S. I Love You. Mm. It's going to be released on Valentine's Day.
1: Awesome. On that note, let's get into our discussion of our January 2020 book club pick, The Three-Body Problem by Susheng Lu. Um, this is the description from Goodreads. Set against the backdrop of China's cultural revolution, a secret military project sends signals into space to establish contact with aliens. An alien civilization on the brink of destruction captures the signal and plans to invade Earth. Meanwhile on Earth, different camps start forming, planning to either welcome the superior beings and help them take over a world seen as corrupt or to fight against the invasion. The result is a science fiction masterpiece of enormous scope and vision. And so this was a book written by Su Jing Lu, I think in 2014. Oh, in, no,
0: 2006, in... right? Original? Yeah. It was translated in 2014 and it won... Uh, It it was nominated for the 2014 Nebula Awards, and then it won the 2015 Hugo Awards. And it was the first uh, Asian novel to win a Hugo Award. So it is groundbreaking. Marvin really wanted to read this book for a very long time. So I am curious as as to (laughs) like knowing what your uh, expectations were, where they met.
1: Well, so... Um, this book has been on my radar for a long time, just because of just like you said, the groundbreaking nature of it being being a piece of Chinese fiction that won a lot of Western awards and acclaim, and so and it was lauded as something as like a fresh look at science fiction from a perspective that we don't usually get. So I was super interested in what that exactly meant because I didn't really know, um, and. I mean, reading the book, you definitely see, like, the biggest thing is just perspectives that you don't normally see in science fiction in terms of, like, when we look at, you know, science fiction written in the States, you know, there's a lot of American exceptionalism written into those narratives, right? Like heroic scientists or generals and soldiers fighting fighting against or exploring new worlds, And what really surprised me about the three-body problem is kind of how cynical the whole thing was in terms of, like, um, its view on what exactly first contact would look like with an alien species that's more superior.
0: Yeah, I I guess I did notice that as well, the cynicism, um, because in American science fiction, I feel like a lot of it is very uh, heroic, like you said, and also very optimistic, um like look at all the sci-fi movies that we have yeah
1: yeah independence We're, day independence day <laughs> yeah i was reading a profile that the new york times did on ken lu the translator um that came out i guess a couple months ago where he was talking about when he was translating this book for Ching si lu he ended up making a really big change in the i guess the flow of the story Mm -hmm. where the three-body problem, the translation that we read, started with um, a few chapters dedicated to the Cultural Revolution and kind of the barbarity and the um, persecution of the intellectual class in addition to the kind of interfactional warfare that happened during that time, right? And apparently in the original text, that section was in the middle of the book.
0: Oh, interesting. During
1: the flashbacks when he actually meets um, um, Ye Wenjie in the present time. And so Ken Liu was reading the book and saying, this section actually makes more sense if you put it in the beginning of the book because it creates the context that would make the rest of the story make more sense. And when he um, suggested it to the original author, fully expecting it to be turned down because who likes being told that you ordered your story wrong? The author actually told him, yeah, that's actually how I had it in the beginning. And his publishers were afraid that because that section was so critical of the Cultural Revolution, they were afraid it wouldn't get past censors. So they moved it to the middle to kind of hide it
0: because they thought that the people who are in charge of censorship won't get to the middle of the book.
1: Yeah, they would read the first that section as a criticism of the government and just like keep it from being published. But since it's in the, in the middle of the book and as um, I think both of us noticed this book is super dense and it actually takes a little bit of effort to kind of get through if you're not like committed to reading it. the um, book was able to um, pass through screening and become the big phenomenon that it has become.
0: That's very sneaky but very yeah. smart. <laughs> yeah, I would since I don't know how to read uh Chinese, I asked one of my friends who can who can read uh Chinese fluently uh to see if it if the translations were I guess like it like it matched the tone of of the original mm-hmm. text and she only read like maybe the first chapter or so, but she was very impressed with Ken Liu's uh translation saying that he pretty much nailed like the cadence of uh, of the original text and um, it's it's a ginormous task to translate a book like this where there are so many like scientific terms and you also have to put in cultural context without like bogging down the western readers on history try to make sure that the footnotes are kept to a minimum Mm -hmm. and translation is kind of uh, you're not only just translate translating like the words, uh, you're also like kind of rewriting the novel in a way, because the the original prose is not going to uh yeah. translate perfectly. So I think Ken Liu like I can't judge because again, I like can't read Chinese, but like it is a it must have been a tremendous task. And
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. The profile on him as well as his own notes at the end of the book illustrate the amount of work that went into translating this to be as close to the source material as possible while also making it accessible for Western audiences. Um and like that word accessibility is such a huge one for this book because um a lot of the book is all about theoretical physics and theoretical science, which um it got a little dense. I mean, um I know um Rera Tweeted that uh, if this wasn't our book, she would have, like, dropped it after halfway through. I
0: would have DNF'd, (laughs) like, a quarter of the way in.
1: And I I do feel that because a lot of the science is very, like, it's very dense and it's very... um, because it's theoretical, it does take some effort to go through all that. Honestly, I think for our discussion, you know, I don't think we should like kind of dig into the science per se, because I don't know if either of us are qualified to really talk about what it is. But the story itself, I thought, was super fascinating in that, again, it was this is a first contact story where essentially it's saying, yeah, humanity's kind of fucked, you know, <laughs> but were we already fucked?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um I liked how, like, the question of is it is it wise to reach out to to <laughs> aliens in space without uh, having a clear idea of what might happen? Because whatever happens will forever impact humanity, and yeah. humanity itself is so divisive, as you can see, like in the novel. There are different factions of the uh, Red Coast organization, uh, the organization that. Uh, reached out to the extraterrestrials and said, Hey, humanity is terrible. Please come and annihilate us from well, this planet.
1: Red Coast was the military program. I think the organization was actually the ETO, the um, Earth Trisolaris Organization.
0: Oh, is that? Okay. Yeah,
1: that formed with um, Ye Wenjie and Um Mike Evans, which is like...
0: Mike Evans. Okay, <laughs> like... I had an like we're gonna we're gonna jump around, but I had an issue with Mike Evans. As you with, mean
1: the white white savior white boy? <laughs>
0: no, not the white savior white boy. I just thought it was really convenient for an environmentalist who is trying to save birds in and trying to save birds and planting trees in rural China, and then he comes back as a billionaire, and he's just like, yeah. I'm just going to use my money to, to like... Well, I mean,
1: think about the people who have the opportunity to go travel to rural China to save birds and live off the land.
0: I mean, that part I understand. (laughs) I I just thought it was super convenient for him to be the one who funds the entire organization. And it's like, what do you know? That one meeting with uh, Wen Jie, like, led to this moment.
1: Yeah, but he also... Um, Co opted and appropriated her research and her learnings to create a splinter faction that was super extremist, which, you know, also pretty convenient. Yeah. I mean, since we're talking about Mr. Evans, um, we can also talk about just um, let's start out with the characters of the story. There are a lot of characters. I don't think any of them could be considered the protagonist besides um, Wenjie, who is kind of the person that kicks everything off, right? Like this whole story happens. because of her
0: i guess uh, i would say i would argue that there are two protagonists and that's uh, wen and uh wang Miao, who is the um nanotech scientist who is pretty much uh giving his perspective in in current china because the book oscillates between uh flashbacks with the cultural revolution and current china uh where Scientists are going through some weird, uh, weird experiences. Um,
1: I guess he's like your everyman who, not everyman, but your everyman scientist who like tries to figure out what the hell is going on. And I guess he does infiltrate the ETO, right? That's his. That's his I role. guess
0: my like half of the book is pretty much in his perspective mm-hmm. in current time. But the reason why I kind of feel like his character fell flat is. For someone who is pretty much a secondary protagonist, he doesn't really make a lot of decisions that kind of drive the action forward. I feel like he was such a passive character and things were just happening (laughs) to him. And he's just like going with whatever ride that he's on. And I couldn't really get into his head. Like you said, he seemed like every man scientist and... Uh, I didn't really get a good grasp of his personality. Yeah, he
1: doesn't necessarily have an arc. Like we said, he's not your, he's not a hero, right? He's just,
0: he's he's like the
1: guy who like tags along and has stuff happen to him. And the story happens around him and he's kind of just the observer. He's our avatar into learning about this secret war that's going on, this interstellar secret war. And also this, um, VR game that he plays to like learn about the alien civilization.
0: I thought it was funny when you said Avatar, and I was like, "Oh yeah, he plays an Avatar." <laughs> Pretty in much the Three Body Problem virtual reality game.
1: A more compelling character to follow would probably be the hardboiled cop Su si Chang.
0: He was the only character I liked, to be <laughs> perfectly honest. He's the, the only one cop. that I thought had uh, a little bit of personality. Because even with uh, Wen Jie, I was like, okay, a lot of these terrible things are happening to her and I can understand her cynicism and uh, her decision to betray humanity pretty much. (laughs) Uh, But, like, you know, she commits murder (laughs) and I'm just like, okay, that was random. Like, why? And also, uh, aside from her being traumatized, again, I have the same issue with, like, I don't really understand her her personality it doesn't seem like there are a lot of character traits that i can draw from her chapters although a lot of interesting things do happen uh in her chapters i i think that some of my favorite um scenes in this novel were of like her in the cultural revolution i mm. don't know if it's because i don't know much about the cultural revolution but um i don't know it just seemed very visceral reading those chapters
1: I mean, I think part of it, like, part of it has to do with just, like, in literature, characters matter, right? Like, having characters with character is important. But how much do you think that is because as readers of, like, Western fiction, we're automatically drawn to the hardball detective archetype as, like, I a leading I'm not person. saying
0: that, like, Dashi should have been, like, the protagonist. I'm just <laughs> saying that I would have liked more depth with the characters i just felt like for most of the novel they were kind of like mouthpieces for plot devices and like just a lot of (laughs) theoretical science and i'm like okay i get that science is a really big thing in hardcore science fiction a lot of the uh fans of that genre they live for this type of stuff and i'm not part of that audience but at the same time i'm like it's like, I would like some, some,
1: some more meat on on the
0: characters. (laughs) And I did not get that. I get that. And you know what? Like this isn't my, this isn't my cup of tea, but it doesn't like, it's still a great book. Yeah. I can appreciate the art (laughs) without liking it.
1: I did enjoy the um, character of um, Wei Chen, who was the husband of the leader of the National Science Frontier Organization, who told the worst. Like, have you ever been to a um QA of like either a, a book QA or like a film QA where we had someone stand up and before they get to the question, they tell their whole life story. Oh,
0: like all the time at every single book signing <laughs> I've been to. Yeah. Because
1: that was this character in his like police deposition. Oh, god. Do you remember that? that I do part?
0: remember
1: it. <laughs> I was reading I was like, oh God, this is the worst.
0: You know who he reminded me of? Um in Devotion of Suspect X, uh, like Heigo Higashino's uh-huh. uh, novel that we read for this book club, there is like a math genius, yeah, and he's like super antisocial, and he's like, I just want to do math in my in my small studio, and that's just my dream job.
1: Yeah, but this guy was a genius and lazy, too. I know, I know.
0: <laughs> he's living his best life, um, but... The the game uh that is featured in this novel, the Three Body Problem game, I thought that was like super interesting. I feel like uh I feel like someone because I am someone who plays a lot of video games. Uh, I was instantly intrigued, and I really liked. The world building and the Trisolarans. Trisolarans, yeah. Yes, Trisolarans, uh, culture and how, like the concept of like dehydration and <laughs> uh, the the three different eras: the chaotic era, is the stable era, and like the death era. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> it's interesting that like basically the Trisolarans or the Trisolaran Earth Alliance organization have um, are utilizing experiential video games to teach a culture and history to you know to kind of screen out potential recruits right like they're like when we talk about like video games as not even art but as a applied way to learn things like this is like the end game for that right yeah and i thought it was interesting that during those trisolar those like three body chapters You're essentially seeing the progress of science of a whole other civilization. The Trisolarans, um, I'm sure people listening should know by now, they are the alien race that the Red Coast Project contacts that are way superior to us in terms of their technology. Because they've had um, years and years of focused research on how to survive in this very chaotic um, system. Right. They're based out of Alpha Centauri, which is the closest star system to the Milky Way. And basically they are a star system with three suns. And throughout like each chapter of Wang Biao going into the three body, you see a different era of their scientific progress as they figure out what the hell is going on.
0: And, you know, like... Their uh, solar system is pretty much the three-body problem, which is why the game is called that.
1: Yeah, which is like a physics problem.
0: Yeah, um, I looked it up because I was like, I I don't know what this (laughs) is. Uh, According to Britannica, it's the problem of determining the motion of three celestial bodies moving under no influence other than that of their mutual gravitation. And apparently, the three-body problem is unsolvable. But there have been some disputes because some people define a solution differently from other people. <laughs> so, like that is a big
1: plot yeah. point
0: in in this book because they're trying to solve a way to survive and predict uh, how the three sons, how the errors are gonna, yeah, come up. And then pretty much they <laughs> give up. They're like, there, "There's no way."
1: Well, because as their understanding of science grows they start to realize wait we're all screwed here because sooner or later we're going to be caught in one of these stars like gravity fields and we're going to be pulled in
0: yeah like um there's a point where half of their planet got like destroyed in half because of like one of the uh
1: it was the trisolar scissorgy or something right where um all three suns were aligned so their gravity kind of Literally pull the planet apart. Yeah, literally pull
0: the planet apart. And uh, that was when they were like, oh, we're screwed. (laughs) Uh, We need to leave. But the game really reminded me of... Have you heard of the Jejun Institute? No. Okay. Uh, There's actually an AMC series that's that's, uh, based on this uh, augmented reality game. So it's an augmented reality game that was set in San Francisco... And uh, it started in 2008, and it kind of continued to 2011. And it kind of had a cult following amongst, like, people who are really into puzzles and people who are pretty much super smart. And pretty much there are, like, eccentric flyers that are advertising, like, these fake health, like, feature tech products. And you kind of, like, go on a scavenger hunt. You, like, call, like, random numbers. You go into abandoned buildings. You find clues, solve puzzles. And uh, pretty much, like... You find out like halfway through this game, this real life game, that the jejun institute who you've been like following, is like the bad guy. So it kind of reminded me a lot of be- a lot of that because uh-huh. people who are playing that game, because it's a cult following and because there's kind of like an initiation uh room, like people actually like randomly meet up, like uh like in the book, like the the top players of the three-body problem who have a higher probability of being converted.
1: They have a meetup.
0: They have a meetup. And that's exactly what happened in the Jejun Institute. Uh, It's it's pretty great. Uh, There's a documentary on it. Go watch it. But I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that meetup in itself was really interesting because the environmentalist guy, um, Pan Han, he interviews everyone who comes. And you have uh, Wang Miao, and you have a journalist, a philosopher, PhD student, and then two business guys, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that of those five, the ones that he recruits is the scientist, the journalist, and the philosopher. And he rejects the uh, the capitalist, pretty much. Yeah. Right? Um, they have a really interesting conversation about colonialism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And basically, the two business people express contrary beliefs. Like, sure, the conquistadors brought civilization to a... Uh, culture that was, quote-unquote, bloodthirsty, but they also brought famine and also, like, who's to say that um, the Aztecs wouldn't have you know, developed into a more peaceful civilization down yeah. the line, right? And then Pond pretty much says, nope, sorry, you're wrong, <laughs> go away. <laughs> right? Cause, because his thesis, which is, like, this faction within the ETL, is, the world is fucked, the aliens should come and just wipe us out.
0: So that's the Adventists. Yeah. And then there's the Redemptionists. Yeah, who's
1: see the the aliens as a benevolent god or something like they have more religious relationship with the trisolarans and i thought it was a really interesting contrast with like say the cultural revolution where the cultural revolution and like communist revolution in general is usually seen as like a revolt of the the common people the workers right the the peasants the the working class whereas the eto seems to be a revolt of the intellectuals right the people that are so smart that they think humanity is just not worth saving. Because um, that was Mike Evans's like triggering moment, right? Was when he realized that there's nothing he can do to stop these forests being cut down. Because all these workers, all these common people are so like, short-sighted, quote-unquote, and can only see, like, if I don't cut this down, someone else will. So I might as well like profit from cutting these trees down. Mm-hmm. And to the Adventists and that kind of way of thinking the world is not worth saving because we're going to destroy it anyways, because the common people can't see the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is both, both movements, the cultural revolution and the trisolar and like supporters, I guess <laughs> uh, they're both kind of in their own ways, trying to suppress science, like the cultural revolution. They're like no intellectuals and yeah. you're, like you're teaching reactionary science. And that's like against our beliefs. Um, it's, It's totally for Western ideals and you're (laughs) corrupted. Whereas, like, with the ETO, they're like, oh, we need to stop progress of human science because they're going to get to a point where they can possibly prevent the trisolarans to, like...
1: Take over. Take
0: over. Um, Because that's the thing with the trisolarans. They have advanced technology, but because every time there is, like, the three sun... Devastation; uh, they have to start all over again. Whereas with human, whereas with humans, we have exponentially like advanced in technology. We are very, very fast.
1: Well, that's the other thing too: was the advancement of science for the trisolarans is on a fixed scale, and what scares them about humanity is that we're we're able to have technological leaps, right? Because we have the ability to conceptualize theoretical science. Which is kind of like our superpower, apparently, in the universe. And the tricelons are scared of that because basically, in like a century, humanity was able to advance science at the rate that took these tricelons like a millennia. Yeah. So they're scared of that because it's going to take them 400 years to get to Earth to invade. And in that amount of time, humanity could create the science needed to fight back. And that's why they uh, manipulate the ETL to, you know, afford science, pretty much.
0: And then, like, the Trisolarans, they sent—like, they did something. Like, they did, they did some science-y stuff that so, I didn't yeah, this understand. Is, they folded a proton into yeah. two dimensions, sent it to Earth.
1: So it took me a while and some, like, researching on Reddit to kind of figure <laughs> out what was going on. Um, I mean,
0: I had to, like, Google a lot of stuff and watch a lot of, like— <laughs> uh 3D animations to figure out like like what it would look like because <laughs> there are some really dedicated readers of uh three body problem who yeah. have like come up with animations and theories and i was like maybe you can explain this to me in, in <laughs> like in like visual terms because obviously like reading this is not really solving my issue of not understanding uh, what's happening yeah
1: but that whole sequence was really interesting because when they were trying to unfold this proton at one point they unfolded into three dimensional space and it became like hostile to them which um, i was reading some other like people trying to explain it but pretty much essentially at that point attacking another universe with sentient beings in that proton space and those beings were fighting back that's yeah. why they were able to, like, be aggressive. Be aggressive.
0: I really like the uh, question of, is science subjective? Like, <laughs> um, are the scientific laws, the physics that humans have come up with, are they, like, actually based on, like, fixed laws, or are they just shots in the dark? And uh, I think there was, like, a really uh, good quote in the book about, like, like explaining it saying a scientist turkey believes that yeah. on things <laughs> like believes that every day at 10 a.m they get fed and then on the day they announce to the other turkeys on like on Thanksgiving day they say like they're like hey this is the law of the universe we get fed at 10 a.m every day except for that day they get slaughtered <laughs> so they and so it's pretty much saying like oh they know nothing they only know uh, they they can only make these predictions without really knowing, like, the scope yeah. of where they belong in the universe. They call
1: it the, the shooter and the farmer Yeah, the shooter theory. and the farmer. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's where, like, speculative, like, hard science fiction is interesting because it asks itself that, those questions, right? And this, I mean, this whole book is about what happens when we make first contact and what happens when that first contact isn't what we dream about in in science fiction before right because first contact in this case in this book was made by someone who had zero faith in humanity
0: and reverse wise the trisolaran who uh received the message was like I don't want my race to invade Earth and delete everything that is beautiful and
1: yeah <laughs>
0: and it's just like you have two people on the other side who are willing to betray their their species and uh yeah like first contact because humanity is so divisive uh there really is no way to be like unified against a common enemy (laughs) i don't know how the second or third book go like i don't know if it's set like 400 years later like after the trisolarans like arrive or
1: I did some reading ahead and all I can say is it doesn't get any more optimistic about our future. Like, I don't know if Sushin Liu's goal was to kind of depress everybody, but I think what this book comes down to is kind of making you think about how fragile everything, like life on this planet really is and how easily it could all be destroyed. I mean, that's been the state of our world since we split the atom, right? Like at any moment, we can just start it out life-changing nuclear holocaust.
0: I think it's also, like, um, the ending of the three-body problem. It is very optimistic, because both Miao and uh, whoever the other scientist was...
1: Dingy.
0: Dingy. They they were like, oh, let's drink and, you know, forget about humanity, because we're fucked, even (laughs) though, like, we have 400 years until the Trisolarans, like, arrive. Um, And the Trisolarans, they send one last message saying, you're bugs, yeah. meaning you're going to be exterminated once we get there. And uh, Dashi, the the um, the police detective guy. The cop. The cop. Yeah. The cop. He takes them to a field and there are locusts and he says, they're bugs. We've been trying to exterminate them for years and they've survived somehow. And it is a very optimistic uh, way to end the book, saying that like, Yeah. Humans have resilience and that is our superpower. We are able to apply theoretical science. And even though there is like an alien race that's trying to hamper that, there are people like Meow who is, you know, building nanotechnology that's going to change the world and they're not going to stop. So, yeah. Yeah. So it is a very optimistic way to end the book. Not sure about the other two books. Maybe, <laughs> like maybe everything burns.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is the first book of a trilogy, and it'd be interesting. Like, I don't know the specifics of the next couple books. I kind of know kind of the cliff notes version of what goes on because I, I was kind of curious. But it does, um, it does expand the scope a lot in terms of like what happens between now and when the invasion arrives uh
0: one observation i do want to mention in this discussion is how the chaotic eras in the three body problem video game uh it's very similar to the chaotic eras that we have in our human world like Like the cultural revolution and the holocaust and uh it's just i hate saying it's metaphorical but (laughs) it's metaphorical and i thought it was pretty well done I wonder, like, because I have a cousin who right now is completing his PhD in astrophysics. And he's (laughs) studying the same thing with, like, was it radio waves or...
1: um, Microwaves or something? Microwaves, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. That's, like, pretty much his thesis right now. And I'm wondering if he ever read the Korean translation of of (laughs) this book. Because I'm pretty sure it exists somewhere.
1: Um, It's a very popular book, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's at least heard of it.
0: But The thing is, even if I attempt to have a conversation about it with him he's probably gonna just spew out a lot of technical (laughs) stuff and it's just like well that's the difference between me a basic person reading this hardcore science fiction novel versus someone who actually knows their stuff
1: well i mean hard science fiction isn't necessarily about the technology and the science though like i think you can technically skip a lot of the sciencey parts and still get at the meat of what this book is about and what the story is about, which is essentially first contact with an alien race and how that might happen and what might come of it.
0: Yeah, you can appreciate the, the plot. And I do agree that the plot is very engaging on paper. But the journey there was very <laughs> long and there were a lot of big info dumps and... Uh, <laughs> Even with the dialogue, there was a lot of exposition and it's just like, I was like, okay, I know we're getting there, but can we speed it up just a little bit? (laughs) I don't know if that's just like me being a modern reader because now modern literature, it's all about like, it's all about pace.
1: I mean, I did find myself skipping through, like, skimming the more technical parts of it in service of getting to the next uh, piece of kind of, like, plot. Yeah, but then um, if you're
0: skimming through the science-y stuff, that's, like, 45% of of the book. Or, like, the first half of the book, I would say. Because, like, towards the latter half, it gets more yeah. streamlined into, like, okay, there are aliens, <laughs> we're trying to stop them, yada, yada, yada.
1: I guess for me, it's more like, okay, at this part, science happens. Um, or science is being explained. and like I get this basic idea of what a Hadron Collider does and what you know what theoretical like gravity and like how circuits work. Uh, I mean that part where they created a computer out of people, which really that was interesting really cool. yeah um but I think, yeah, I think the way that I read it, I kind of like in order to not get bogged down by those sections, I kind of like got about the gist of it and then, moved on to where because they kind of contextualize it later anyways in the story, like why this is important to know.
0: See the thing is, like I I said on Twitter I would have DNF'd this book like <laughs> pretty early on uh because of the denseness, because of the scientific info dumps. And uh if I was not reading this for book club, I would have just gone on a book blog or Wikipedia and just like looked at the bullet points <laughs> of like what happens and like, what the important science stuff is. Like, I feel like I would have had a more enjoyable experience just learning that way rather than reading the book, which is a very harsh criticism. But mm. again, it is a groundbreaking book. I just <laughs> did not enjoy it. Um, and it's I seem to be in the minority here as well because I went on Goodreads. And, uh, you know, most people had have, like, written ra- like raving reviews. Um, and I checked, like, a lot of our community members' reviews and ratings, and a lot of you guys gave the book, like, four or five stars. <laughs> and I'm like, are you guys all scientists? <laughs> are you guys all, like, mathematicians?
1: I mean, for me, the science part was, like, it was dense. But, like, through that, I think the central story itself was was an interesting portrayal of this specific scientific trope um, from a kind of a different perspective and different worldview and what i did like was also the portrayal of like chinese life like i really enjoyed the fact that like when wang Miao visits uh wenjie in the present time she uses diminutive names to like call him like xia wang or she calls her daughter Dongdong. these names that elders give children that Took on an extra sense of familiarity because I am Chinese and I understand what that means. Like when she was um, trying to get one of the kids that she cares for to eat, she says, oh, Do you want some meat, meat? Which um, translates to ro ro in um, Chinese, which is something that we say um, to little kids, Do you want some ro ro? And to me, that was really, um, I guess, fun to read.
0: I kind of wish that uh, we learned more about Wenjia's uh, daughter who was a scientist and uh, killed herself because uh, she found out that. Physics is not real, and um, finds out that there are things. There are things in science that are out of whack because of the proton that was sent by the trisolarans.
1: Well, and, I don't think she knew that, and I think likewise. What I kind of wish we had more insight on was how did Wenjie feel when she found out that her daughter's death was caused by Yeah, Patricel definitely. Lawrence, I wish right? that was in there. Like, because she was the one who decided to betray humanity, but I don't think she expected it to be such a personal betrayal, right? She expected, yeah, this is something that humanity is going to reckon with in 400 years. Yeah. And by and then, I'm like, oh, to not now. Like, yeah.
0: I'll be dead by the time that the child... <laughs> Um.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely feel like that was a um, an opportunity to kind of but then, like, what would you want to see? Like, do you want to see remorse? Do you want to see, like, oh, shit, I made a mistake? Uh, like, like, in the end, like...
0: I, like, I feel like I just needed a page, you know? <laughs> like, a flashback page of yeah. of her, like, finding the body or at the funeral or just, like, before her daughter, like, killed herself. Like, her kind of being, like, dead inside. Like, just something.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that maybe this book was missing was more personal stories, right? Because, like we said, we we I think we both enjoyed the character of Su Chang, the the cop detective, but at the same time, we didn't really get a lot of his his story as well. We just knew, oh, this is a cool guy that smokes cigars and like is rough and tumble. Like, if there was a criticism for this book, it it would be that like it's it's really good describing what happens, but you don't really end up I guess rooting for any character. And again I wonder how much of that is our training in finding characters a root for in these types of stories because of the books that we've read before and how much of that is just the the nature of like hard sci-fi maybe this is just how this type of story goes
0: I th- I did think it was really cool when uh Wang Miao like he is taking photographs, and then, like, the countdown shows up. Yeah. And then he starts seeing it, like, just through his eyes, and he kind of goes towards, like, a mental breakdown.
1: Well, he also starts sciencing, right? Like, yeah. Like, doing control experiments. I thought and
0: that was really to... funny. Um, And also, like, I was just... Because I studied screenwriting, like, I just kind of imagined it as, like, a scene in, like, a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would be a really good scene. And it got me thinking... Like, I feel like if this book was adapted into a TV series where uh, the science isn't just like a wall of text and they can kind of like show it with uh, like animation and have the characters have personalities through the actors' performances, I feel like I would have been really into it.
1: Yeah, I think this, this book was set to be adapted into like an animated series or an animated movie once amount of time but from what i read on, on wikipedia um the project has been postponed and i think a lot of it has to do with just how like this book would be pretty hard to adapt without some serious adaptation in terms of like characters i mean how would you um if you were to adapt this into a tv series or movie like who would you who would the folks be on probably when right
0: yeah when or
1: would she be the antagonist right
0: i wouldn't really assign like in antagonist or protagonist, I would probably give the main characters equal screen time. Mm. And you just kind of see their uh, their perspective kind of unfold. That was kind of an issue I had with this book in terms of structure. Like, I don't mind the flashbacks and then going into current day and then going into the game. I just wish that the chapter lengths were consistent because i felt like there were like moments where you go into flashback mode and it's like maybe 20 pages and then you go into current day and it's like it's like much much longer and i don't know it just kind of messed with messed (laughs) with my head in terms of pacing
1: yeah so i guess to wrap up our discussion of this book what is your opinion on the I guess state of mankind or humanity? Like would you have saved us or would you have doomed us?
0: Oh, hell no. I would not have saved us. <laughs> like I, I mean, I don't think I would have uh, sent a message to aliens saying, "Hey, come destroy us." Mm. I would expect that to happen regardless, but I don't think I would want that responsibility on my shoulders. I'm I'm more of a chaotic neutral. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, okay, if if humanity is wiped out, I'm good. We've lived for a very long time as a species. I, I think, <laughs> you know, we're ready to perish and give another species a, a chance. Mm. But I'm not going to actively destroy my own life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I would probably, I wouldn't have doomed us. I probably would have reported like, hey, yo, um, some people kind of know where we are and might be coming to destroy us. So uh, we should, you know, halfway through the book, I kind of thought this was a whole like a Xanatos gambit for um, for Wengia, kind of like a Ozymandias from the the Watchmen, where it's like, what if we had a singular focus for the world and that brings us all together and creates peace. Right. I thought that was maybe where this was going. Like, if we focus our entire energy on not being wiped out by this scientifically superior race, then the whole world will come together, right? I feel like
0: that is such an idealist, like, it's a very Western,
1: like, heroic thing. No way in
0: hell would that happen.
1: (laughs) I mean, kind of did. I mean, you have like the Chinese. European and, like, American yeah, but armed they're forces still, coming but together. but they're still
0: fighting people who are, like...
1: That's true. What did you think of the one action scene, which is, like, when that... Um, when that
0: boat got, like... Sliced, sliced yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> More action, please. <laughs> what can I say? Like I said, I am a basic person. I just want... <laughs> I, I want my action scenes. I want... um, I... I just want the pacing to be fast. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a millennial. What are you going to do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and on that note, um, I guess that also do it for the discussion of the three body problem by Sushin Liu, um, translated by Ken Lu. If you have any thoughts about our discussion, have anything to add, or you, if you want to explain science to us, um, please sign off on our Goodreads forums. We always look forward to reading your feedback on the books that we read. Um, let's just know that people are reading along with us. And thank you, Rira, for bearing with us on this on this initial read of uh, of twenty twenty. I feel like this um this next book pick for February is a reaction to my book pick for you. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I was just like, oh man, like. How do I get back at Marvin for making me read this book? It took me so long to finish this book. I usually finish like 400-page books in like a matter of like maybe three days. It took me like a week and a half to get through. I'm
1: so sorry. But
0: but to be fair, I Googled a lot of stuff. Mm. I tried. I want credit for trying. Now you can
1: say you've read this book and it just, you know. It wasn't your cup of tea, yes. which I kind of knew after our second book club pick of the the series when you read um what was it how to survive in the science fiction universe yeah 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 also
0: like we I think both of us read uh nine Fox Gambit mm. by Ha Lee and I was just like I can't I can't <laughs> I finished it but I was like I can't this is not my genre like I can't um but it's also February and it is the month of valentine's day are
1: you falling for that capitalist uh oh yeah ploy
0: yes but also we haven't read an adult romance novel we've read ya novels that are coming of age and have romance in them we've read uh like other genre picks with like romance intertwined in it but we haven't read like a proper romance novel that is straight up like relationship and rom-com <laughs> like rom-com adventures and um i had a really hard time finding romance no- adult romance novels by asian authors that feature asian characters because there are a couple of um, asian american romance novelists but their books are set in like in like victorian it, england or <laughs>
1: scientifically it's the sexiest time you know Like, please
0: stop. Um, So, I do
1: prefer Regency England. Is that the thing?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I like contemporary romance a lot more than historical romance.
1: It's messier, right? It's a little messier, a little little less about rich people, I guess. Is the
0: oh no? There's always rich people in (laughs) romance novels. It's just that, like, it's a more of a level playing field. You know, it's Mm. not always that you have to marry a rich guy to save yourselves from from poverty Mm -hmm. which is why i really liked kiss quotient because the female protagonist is you know higher on the economic scale (laughs) compared to uh the male love interest oh but i read it i loved it um i did have some issues with it when i first read it so i'm wondering if uh those issues are gonna bother me the second time i read it Mm. and uh Warning, there are a lot of sex scenes in it. So be careful when you're reading this book in public. You don't want someone to stand over your shoulder and read parts of those. Sex they scenes. really
1: shouldn't be standing over your shoulder in the first place. so If they catch a glimpse of word porn, it's really their own fault.
0: I mean, I've had I've had so many people look over my shoulder while I'm like reading on my Kindle or writing on my laptop. It's very rude, but people are nosy
1: and now they know that you like sexy stuff
0: i mean i have no shame (laughs) live a little
1: i am looking forward to reading the book um it's been a book that's been on our reader for for years now and um, as someone who doesn't read a lot of romance um it's good for me to expand my um my reading repertoire um and since i did make you read this hard sci-fi it's only fair that i delve into into your world as well um and I guess um, hope you all will read along with us and um, I know a lot of you have already read this book so please, please, please um, sound off on our forums and let us know your thoughts about the book so we can also discuss those on our podcast but on that note thank you for joining us again on this episode of Books and Boba Rira, I'll see you next time Alright, bye Bye everyone Thanks for listening to Books and Boba this episode was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue this podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios, located within the Visual Communications offices in downtown Los Angeles. You can learn more about Visual Communications and their programs, such as the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, by going to their website at bcmedia.org. Thanks also to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American hosted podcasts that Books and Boba is a proud member of. You can learn more about our fellow Potluck Podcasts by checking out the website podcastpotluck.com. a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Phoba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.